Psalm 26, our summer series in, uh, in the Psalms. It's great to be in the Word of God. There's no greater place to be um, in, in other than reading this, this Psalm and being in His Word, studying His Word. Uh, so please turn, if you will, to page 484 in that text, if you have it in the, in the back of the, the pew. If you need a Bible, take that with you. Take it home, read it, give it to your neighbor. Um, if you don't have one, use it yourself. So this is a Psalm of David, Psalm 26. And, and we'll see that he, David begins this Psalm with a plea to God for vindication against false accusations and slander from his enemies. So vindication, you know, use that word, okay, get used to it. It's, it's that God would prove him righteous and that God would clear him of false charges. This is his plea for vindication. So then after that, David goes on to describe how it's going to be proved, and it's through his life, uh, a life of integrity. So um, as Christians, we are called to a life of integrity, and, uh, and so let's look for that as we read. Please stand as we read the Word of God. This is the holy, inspired, and inerrant Word of God. Psalm 26 of David. Vindicate me, Lord, because I have lived with integrity and have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Test me, Lord, and try me. Examine my heart and mind. For your faithful love guides me, and I live by your truth. I do not sit with the worthless or associate with hypocrites. I hate a crowd of evildoers, and I do not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence and go around your altar, Lord, raising my voice in thanksgiving and telling about your wondrous works. Lord, I love the house where you dwell, the place where your glory resides. Do not destroy me along with sinners or my life along with men of bloodshed, in whose hands are evil schemes and whose right hands are filled with bribes. But I live with integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground. I will bless the Lord in the assemblies. May the Lord add this blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray. Lord, we come to your holy scriptures and we pray that you would open our hearts and minds, transform us by your Holy Spirit through your word, that we may grow and mature in your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. David begins this psalm with this cry, Vindicate me, Lord, because I have lived with integrity. David's being falsely accused and slandered by his enemies, and he calls out to God to test him and to prove him innocent of these false charges. And he talks about his integrity at this point. Uh, a book called The Day America Told the Truth by James Patterson um, does, an, does a lot of research based upon an opinion survey, which is anonymous, about, about integrity in 
uh, America. As a result of that survey, he finds that only 13% of Americans, of all Americans, believe that the Ten Commandments are uh, valid and binding to us today. 91% of those who responded said it was okay to lie, or they lie regularly at home and at work. In answer to the question, to whom have you lied, or to whom do you lie, 86% responded and said to their parents, and 75% to their friends. Most workers, this one I, I had a hard time with, most workers admit to goofing off for an average of seven hours almost a whole day every week. I can't think that's possibly true. Folks, maybe? Uh, half admit that they regularly call in sick when they're perfectly well. And so, do we have trouble with our integrity? Do we have a problem with our integrity here? The this, this straightforward poem and prayer of uh, the chaplain of the Kansas State Senate says, his name is Fred Holloman, goes like this. This is his prayer. Omniscient Father, help us to know who is telling the truth. One side tells us one thing and the other just the opposite. And if neither side is telling the truth, we would like to know that too. And if each side is telling half the truth, give us the wisdom, wisdom to put the right halves together in Jesus' name. Wow. But for the Christian, um, the fact is, according to this survey and some other surveys, is that the, difference between, the statistical difference between the ethical practices of believers and non-believers is, is not, not that large. Sadly, most Christians are almost, almost now as likely to be dishonest on tax returns, to commit plagiarism, perhaps in school or writing a report, uh, to ignore construction permits, to illegally copy software, DVD, movies, or music, to steal time from their employers, or to selectively obey laws. So the question here that starts this whole thing off is, is how would you do on an integrity survey? Could you cry out with David, vindicate me, O Lord, because I have lived with integrity? What do you think, or what would others think about you in that sense? So Psalm 26 answers these questions, and he tells us what kind of life we should live. We should live a complete a life of complete integrity, uh, that when nobody is around and nobody's watching, the Lord is watching, how do we behave? What are our thoughts? What are our words? What are our actions? This is a life of integrity. Um, to find what the, the focus of the text is, I often look for repetition, and I see in verse 2, he says, um, I'm sorry, in verse 1, he says, um, because I have lived with integrity, and that same, same phrase is repeated again in verse 11 at the end of the, ver- of the psalm, verse 11, but I live with integrity, he says, redeem me. And be gracious to me. So he starts off with, I have lived with integrity, and he finishes off and he says, But I live with integrity. And this kind of focused, focuses this psalm on his life of integrity um, in order to be vindicated. So um, 
Scripture uses this word integrity um, as someone who is upright, who is blameless, who is above reproach, someone who is innocent, um, uncorrupted. And so for us, you know, uh, to live a life in, of integrity is to li- live a life consistent with God's instructions on Scripture. And, uh, and that's the, I, the, the, the idea of consistency here. Verse 1, um, verse one I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. He, he says that for consistently every day in and day out. In verse 12, my foot stands on level ground, stable in his integrity, um, consistency. So here we're, giving, we're given a little portrait, a snapshot of a life of consistent integrity. And the, the application for us as we go through here is, is that, yeah, you know, we should have a life of, of integrity and we should have a life that is marked by obedience to the word of God. And, uh, and so I'm just going to step through these, uh, these, my, in my book, there's, there's four, looks like four sections here. I'm just going to take something from each section here and walk through it. So, um, I've got four points and, um, they are number one, living with integrity begins with the heart and the mind in verses two and three. Second, living with integrity resists the influence of the wicked. I pull that out of verses four and five. Uh, third, living with integrity speaks truth, coming from uh, verses 6 and 7. And fourth, living with integrity uh, will love and worship the Lord, verses 8 and 12. So first, living with integrity um, begins with the heart and mind in verse 2 and 3. Um, I think we all know this in- intuitively, but um, you know, when we believe something in our hearts, no matter what it is, from that heart, from our hearts, it flows out into our words and our actions, and it comes out in some way. And uh, Psalm Proverbs 4.23 reminds us to guard our heart above all else, for it is a source of life. And so living something out requires us first to believe it within. And it is the same with matters of integrity. Our integrity needs to begin on the inside, in our heart and in our minds. And so in verse 2, the psalmist asks, the Lord to test his heart and mind. First, his heart there. Uh, we cannot live with integrity if our heart is not changed first. We need a new heart. Ezekiel 36, our hearts of stone need to be changed to a heart of flesh. And once that's changed, our mind can follow. And, and we find in Romans chapter 12, do not be conformed um, to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, what is pleasing, and what is perfect, the perfect will of God. So here, David uses these three different words um, that the Lord, he says, test me in verse two, try me and examine my heart. And the word try here is used for the purification of gold. So you melt the gold down and the dross comes to the top under high heat. And of course, students here know and are familiar with the word examine and the, and the idea of an examination or a test in that sense. But test your heart and mind. How would you do in a test like that? How would you do with submitting your heart 
the motives of your heart and the thoughts in your mind to scrutiny and to an examination by God. That would be a challenge. Do you invite the Holy Spirit to test your heart and mind? Similarly, you know, David says this, Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, he says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. If there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way, see if there's any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. And this is pretty much classic David here, self-searching, introspecting, Uh, opening himself to the all-seeing, omniscient God who searches heart, mind. Um, And then he writes it down, like in a journal or a biography. He writes it down, and it's like a spiritual biography. It's, 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 It's encouraging to read. I mean, Augustine does the same in Confessions, and Bunyan does it in his grace abounding uh, to the chief of sinners, and so does so does David Brainerd in his journal, spiritual journals, as, as they invite the Holy Spirit, the Lord God himself, to examine hearts and minds, motives and thoughts, and how that is weighed uh, in eternity. Get into the practice of doing that, of, uh, of examining your thoughts, pausing to think about your motives in your heart, and where does it weigh, and how does it balance out with Scripture? Are we consistent? Are we, do we have integrity there? Consider them, evaluate them. Are they pleasing to God? And no other points here will matter if our hearts are not first transformed. Secondly, the wicked. I pull that from verses 4 to 5 there. Uh, living a life of integrity will resist the influence of the wicked, and here David mentions these folks, these people in the CSB here. It's, it's worthless, hypocrites, evildoers, and the wicked. And yeah, they're around, aren't they? We run into folks all the time who do not believe in the authority of God or his word. And they rebel against him. So we resist, and David resists against them. He turns away, he stands firm against them, and No one here says that we should not have contact or we should isolate ourselves from the folks in our community that reject or rebel against God. There was a book written a while ago, the Benedict Option, I think it was, about, you know, isolating yourself. Now, we live in this world, and we're called to be here, and we constantly are in contact, and and we know folks, and we fellowship, we We know folks, we interact with folks who would fall into the categories of worthless people, hypocrites, uh, evildoers, or the wicked. But we should resist their ideology. We should resist their way of thinking. Um, We're called to share the gospel, to be a light to the nations, and we share that hope that we have. So here, the psalmist tells us not to associate with those peoples whose lives are dedicated to or who pursue evil agendas. So don't associate with their pursuits. And we have those verbs there in verses 45, 4 and 5. I do not sit or consort or assemble with these guys. Um, so King David probably um, has in mind his... his um, his enemies, their false accusations, those who are out to destroy him. I think perhaps King Saul early in his life, 
uh, out to kill him, uh, to destroy him, and then later his own son, Absalom, uh, who, who rejects him and who uh, rebels against him. He betrays his father. And there are many more, I'm sure, uh, who fall into that category. And so David continues to contrast those wicked and hypocritical folks with those who live a life of integrity. And so the emphasis here is let's not align ourselves with the way of thinking, the pursuit of evil of these guys. Uh, John Calvin, he's the French reformer and pastor, says the word not sitting and not walking denote not sharing in their counsel and not fellowshipping in their working. So once again, we're not calling, called to isolate ourselves from unbelievers. No, not at all. But we do not align our hearts and our minds with the evil pursuits. Uh, reminds me of that uh, blessed man in Psalm 1. We've been through the Psalms and that progression from walking to standing to sitting that we see there. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathways of sinners or sit in the company of mockers. And that's what David is saying. I'm not, I'm not even starting with the walking in that direction. I'm walking the other direction. I can't walk with them if I'm walking the other direction. So we flee, we run, we stay away from this type of, of work, this type of action, um, the work of the worthless, those who associate with hypocrites, evildoers, and the wicked. Um, and this is what a life of integrity is. It resists that influence of the wicked. Thirdly, uh, we speak truth. And so I'm getting that from verses 6 and 7. Uh, raising my voice in thanksgiving and telling about your wondrous works there. Um, integrity is more than just what's on the inside and our heart motivation um, and how we align ourselves. But integri- integrity works its way out through our words. And the words, our words are the easiest way to see what is in the heart. Am I right? Uh, words come out whether we guard or not. And, um, and they reflect what's in the heart. And verse 7 says, Raising my voice in thanksgiving and telling about your wondrous works. And um, that's God's wondrous works. One of my favorite uh, books is, is Magnalia Day, um, called the, the Wonderful Works of God, taken from Acts 2.11. We hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues. And do you do that? Do you proclaim the wonderful, magnificent acts of God? I heard you guys this morning singing, Alleluia, Hallelujah. You have won the victory. Hallelujah. You've won it for me. You have risen. Christ is the risen king, and he sits in majesty. We sing it. We sing it out loud on a Sunday morning. And it's fun to hear it. And, and it's, it's, it's so encouraging as you look around the room and you see God's people, his church, shouting out loud, singing out loud, thanksgiving, and declaring the, the magnificent, the wonderful works of God right here in this house. It happened today. And it will happen again at the end. 
okay? It's awesome. It's great. And, and so practice that. But now the question is, as people of integrity, do we continue that when we leave? Do we continue to mention and to talk about the wonderful works of God? And I find it very easy to talk about those things that are in my heart and that I'm, I'm excited about. I used to be excited about the Philadelphia Eagles. And I used to love to talk about them and who the running back was and who the receivers were and who the quarterback is. All the time. You couldn't stop it. Are you excited about the wonderful works of God, how he has saved us, taken us out of the kingdom of darkness and transferred us, moved us, lifted us up, put our feet on the rock in the kingdom of light? For eternity, those are, those are amazing things that God has done. And so David, life of integrity, he speaks them, he shouts them. And actually, just to drill in a little bit, I, you know, he washes his hands in innocence and he goes around his altar, Lord raising his voice in verse 6, going into verse 7. He's worshiping here. He's worshiping. And, uh, and this is the challenge. Do we worship the Lord? I say in, in this last point, um, point letter D, is uh, love the Lord. Love the Lord. It is the root of all worship. Do you love Christ? Do you love what he's done for us? Do you seek to know him? Do you share him? Do you study about him? Do you pray to him? Psalmist says here, Lord, I love the house where you dwell, the place where your glory resides, in verse 8. If we love Christ, we will worship, not just here on a Sunday morning, but we will worship Christ every moment of every day with every breath we take. After all, where does his glory dwell? And the language here in verse 8 is about the tabernacle in the Old Testament where the Ark of the Covenant would reside, and it's where God's glory would dwell, and it's where Moses would go into, and then David would go into, and, and be in the presence of God himself. But for us, the fun part is that we are now identified as God's temple. And the Spirit of God dwells within us. It's an amazing mystery. 1 Corinthians 3.16, 2 Corinthians 6.16, it says that the Spirit of God now lives in us. And we worship the Lord in all aspects of our lives, recognizing that we are united with God in Christ. Seeking his presence through prayer, seeking his purpose and his glory in the things we commit ourselves to. And then the last verse here, the last phrase is, I will bless the Lord in the assemblies. And you contrast that with, with, that, um, with that other phrase in verse 5, the crowd of the evildoers. Crowd of evildoers, and then you've got bless the Lord in the assemblies. You know, we love to worship. We love Christ. We love to worship him. And that is part of a life of integrity. So in conclusion here, we've got these four points um, a life of integrity is, is, starts with the heart and mind. It resists the impact and, and the presence and association with the wicked, speaks truth about the wondrous works of God and his word. 
Um, and the life of integrity loves the Lord our God. Isn't that great? Isn't that cheery? Isn't that awesome? Well, I'll tell you, it really is. But when you stop for a minute, and this is the luxury I've had in looking this over all week, is um, you can feel mighty unworthy listening to this. Because each one of these points, each one of them convict me and even accuses me. I've, you know, have I, I have not lived up to this standard of integrity. I know my heart. I know my idolatry. My coveting, my lust, my anger, I know my heart leads me to say things and do things that are harmful. And they're dishonoring to God. How have I done speaking out about God's wondrous deeds with my neighbors and my unbelieving family? And although I know I've been created for worship, I also know I worship other things. I dwell on things unrelated to his glory. And I may not be alone here in this thinking. So when we read this psalm, it's one of those elephants in the room, an unresolved conflict, which it's hard to ignore. And when I read these first words of the psalm, vindicate me, Lord, for I have lived with integrity. The truth is, how can God vindicate me? How can I stand up to God's testing, to his examination, his righteousness, and his perfect integrity? How can I do that? Man, I can't. And none of us can. That's the point. There is one who has, despite our failure to live with integrity, despite our unrighteousness and our sinful hearts, Christ has gone before us. Christ has lived a life of perfect integrity. Every one of these categories of integrity, Jesus has fulfilled in perfect righteousness. A heart and a mind fully dedicated to the Father's will, his purpose and his word, and his full humanity and his full deity is a heart and a mind dedicated to the Father. He resisted all temptation. Never once in his life did he align himself with political power seekers like the Romans or self-righteous religious leaders who were hypocrites, nor the evil crowds who wanted to crucify him. Yet he willingly and lovingly ministered to those in need and to those in sin who needed his forgiveness. Through his perfect life, he lived with perfect integrity. He deserved, Christ himself deserved full vindication from God the Father. He deserved to be exonerated, to be declared holy and righteous. But instead, Jesus gave us what he deserved. He gave us vindication. And then he took on the judgment that we deserved. He took that on himself. God the Father vindicated us, pardoned us through Christ. And friends, that's what the cross is all about. The judgment of God we deserved fell on Jesus and his righteousness, his complete integrity, his his vindication is then imputed to us. And that is a great, magnificent work of God that we can declare. That is the gospel. So we cry out, we cry out to God, vindicate us. And we do so not by our own works 
or by anything we've done, not because of our hearts and our minds, not because we speak truth, not because um, we love Christ or we don't hang out with the wicked, but it's because it is because Christ has done that. And he has called us to believe in this by faith. So yeah, yeah, seek the Lord's vindication, you know, but only through Christ's perfect life lived and his death for you and through the hope that you have in the resurrection. There's just a little bit of other unresolved conflict here. Um, Even with a clear understanding of the gospel we just spoke about and clear knowledge of belief in Christ as Savior, um, we ask, how is this psalm not self-righteous? You know, I see it is I do this, I did that, me, 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 I wash my hands, I did not sit, you know. Are these not words of a Pharisee or someone who may think highly of themselves? You know, is that King David? Is, that, is he that good? You know, I know that he struggled with a sense of sinfulness. David sought the Lord. He prayed. He got forgiveness. You know, I know that, that he separated himself out from wickedness. Um, but we know there were several times in David's life where he failed in his integrity. So can we as believers in Christ... Saved by grace, but still struggling with sin, can we even say the words of Psalm 26 or pray the words of Psalm 26? And again, the answer is yes, we can. We can do so with that tension in mind, first knowing that Christ has already paid the price. He has vindicated us. Second, knowing that we are saved from the penalty and power of sin, yet we still live in the presence of sin. We struggle with that. Third, we have the empowering work of the Holy Spirit through faith that enables us to pursue holiness and integrity. Paul gives himself as an example. He calls himself in Romans 7, oh, what a wretched man am I. And yet later in other passages in 1 Corinthians 4, Philippians 3, and so forth, he, he, taught, he encourages Timothy. He says, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. He says, imitate me on one hand. And on the other hand, he says, oh, you know, wretched man that I am. Psalm 26 is, um, is not moralism. It's not self-righteousness when it comes from the heart that believes and has faith in God for his salvation and his instruction. In fact, David recognizes the Lord's redemption and grace right here in verse 11. He says, redeem me and be gracious to me. And so the tension here with Paul, David, with ourselves, is that yes, on the one hand, we are sinners. We have failed greatly in our integrity before God and men. And on the other hand, In Christ and through his perfect life and integrity, we can stand before God and be vindicated. We struggle with sin, we seek forgiveness in Christ, and we pursue holiness. This is sanctification, our spiritual growth through the means of grace that God has given us. Scripture, prayer, assembly, the ordinances, this is our calling. We experience it here today as we sing praises to God, as we Uh, participate in corporate prayer as we listen to the word of God. These are the means of grace that God uses to strengthen us and grow us. So 
Don't let this psalm be a burden to you. Instead, let it encourage you. Look into it, knowing that you can live a life of integrity, knowing that you have a heart that has been transformed, that has been turned from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh through God's salvation and his gospel, and that through grace and the help of the Holy Spirit, your mind can grow in the knowledge and understanding of him and his wondrous works. Maybe you're not sure that you believe in Christ. May instead this psalm be a picture for you of the Savior who has lived a life of perfect integrity. And he has offered his life for you. Offered to be a vindication for you. Which no one, uh, without which no one will see God. Would you put your faith in the Savior this morning? So may we pursue integrity. May we see the Savior, the Lord of perfect, may we see the Savior, the Lord of perfect integrity uh, as we read this psalm. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Our gracious God and King, we ask that you would help us to pursue you in your ways and in your work. Bring us to a place of consistent integrity in our lives according to the commands, your commands, and and flowing from our hearts, Lord. We thank you for Christ Jesus, for whom, through whom, and to whom be the glory now and forever and ever. And it's to him we pray. Amen.